Welcome to Ink in Your Veins. I'm your host, Rachel Heron. In this podcast, I talk to authors about the best things they've learned about writing so we can try those things too. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to Ink in Your Veins, episode number 409. I'm Rachel Heron, and I am so thrilled that you are here as I am here talking today to my friend, Damian Pitter. We talk about the developmental edit and all things edit. So you are going to love this interview. Damian is such a kind person while really, really knowing his craft. And also you will hear him blow my mind in a way I am never going to recover from. So that is coming up. Just a very quick intro today because I'm running a little late and I've got a lot of things to do today. But what is going on around here? I am thinking and working on that money book that I haphazardly announced last week. I am so excited about it. Nobody can write this one but me. I'm going to be contributing to the conversation in a way that only I can. And I do not have to be everything for everyone. And I'm saying that because it might be helpful for you to hear. A lot of times we get that imposter syndrome stuck in our head, in our ears, ringing. It says, how can I tell a reader everything? How can I show them everything in this fictional world? Or how can I show them everything that I lived through in order to help somebody else? Or how can I tell them how to do something that I know how to do while making sure that they have everything? You can't. And it is such a relief when we remember that we don't have to. We are not the conversation. We are a voice in the conversation and people opt in and opt out of listening to our voices. I am right for some people to read. Some people like my books. Some people don't. And I do not mind. There are so many books out there that people love that I am not in love with. And then I read books and love them. And people tell me, I don't know how you even got through that. That is gorgeous, isn't it? So I just feel super excited. And I love this feeling of moving with joy into a project, even though I'm trying to finish up some other projects. I am in the editing phase of the audio for Unstuck. And yeah, it's just a, it's a lot of work. It is, it is the hard, the hard part of doing an audiobook is the editing, but I have hired a sound engineer to clean it up for me when I am eventually done. And then the Kickstarter will be ready to go. Uh, what else is going on? I think I felt like, oh, I just sent out an email to the writers. So if you're not on that list, please get on it. You can go to rachelheron.com slash write and get on that list. I talked about why skipping ahead is one of the most excellent things you can do for yourself as a writer. If you are stuck, skip ahead. There are no writing police waiting for you to make a mistake. You do not have to finish the scene that you're stuck in. You do not even have to finish the sentence. You can choose to think about that scene for a little while longer and try some things. But if you are choosing to think about it, and working on it, and you're not moving forward, and it's been days or even weeks, it is time to skip. Skip ahead. It is the most empowering thing we can do is to move toward our interest. And here's the thing. Once we write the thing that is sparkliest and shiniest or darkest or hardest or most exciting for us to write, much later, much later when we're in revision, we almost always realize almost always, not always, but almost always realized that the part we were struggling with was because it was somehow wrong 
it wasn't serving us and it would have needed to be cut anyway. And our brains were throwing up these red flags that we were refusing to see. We will never believe that or understand that when we're in an early draft, a first or a second draft, because we still are believing that this scene is important and here's why. And you can tell the 10 reasons why. It's just that you don't know the book enough yet. You're still learning the book because you're still writing it and revising it probably for the first time, which is when a lot of things change. And yes, that scene really does seem important now. And we cannot tell that later it will not be important and it will be something that you can gloss over with a sentence or remove entirely. So trust yourself. If you're bored or stuck, skip ahead. You do not have to connect anything. Transitions don't matter. Those are for late revision. You can change everything right in the middle of your book and keep going. Keep moving forward. Don't go back to fix. Keep moving forward. Make yourself some notes of how to fix it later when you've finished the draft. Ooh, there's my little um, soapbox that I got up onto. Let us talk about uh, someone who is not on a soapbox, but who I hold in very high regard. I'm so excited to talk to him. After teaching students to understand and write stories for more than 20 years as an international educator and counselor, Damien Pitter now has a small business editing and coaching adult writers to help them find and tell their stories. Educated in Canada, Damien studied film theater and education, film comma theater and education, and then earned an MFA in creative writing from the University of British Columbia. As the child of Jamaican and Chinese Jamaican immigrants, his interest in different stories led him to live and work in six countries on four continents, while his work as a counselor taught him the power that story has to shape our reality. He lives with his partner, novelist Mona McDermott, in Yokohama, Japan, and on the south shore of Nova Scotia, Canada. You can find out more about working with him at damienpitter.com. You're going to love this. Hold on to your socks. Here we go. Happy writing, my friends. Well, I could not be more pleased to welcome my friend to the show. Will you please share your name and your pronouns with us? Yeah, I am Damien Pitter. I am uh, he, him. And um, yeah, I'm delighted to be here. I am delighted to have you. We know each other through your amazing partner, Mona McDermott, you know, who is mm -hmm. frequently mentioned on the show. She is amazing. <laughs> and you are amazing. And you're both writers. You are two writers in a long-term partnership. Um, and today we're going to, we focused on Mona here before. We're going to focus on you today. And specifically, we're going to talk about editing, developmental editing. But before we get into that, which is something that you do, I would love to ask you kind of what generally is your backstory as a writer? Yeah. Um, so really, I think I, I I maybe became a writer when I saw Star Wars when I was four years old uh, and just fell in love with stories. Um, oh, that's and, so cute. you know, constantly thereafter, making up stories in my head. And then slowly, it's been, it's been a slow process of formalizing you know, that impulse, I think. So I became a teacher first. Um, is that what I did first? No, I studied film first uh, in university. Uh, and then I became a teacher while I was studying film. Then I went and became a high school teacher, uh, worked internationally teaching stories. Uh, but again, that was mostly about like just being in love with stories and wanting to teach people how to write stories and how to teach people how to understand them. Um, and the more of that I did, uh, I started thinking more about and and interacting with people and kind of interacting with their stories. So I became a counselor um, to to have the opportunity to really think about 
people's actual stories and mm-hmm. the way that story shapes our lives. Um, I think story isn't just, it's not just an entertainment, it's a cognitive structure, right? It's how we make meaning of the world. Um, so help working with people to think about what their stories are and how having a slightly different story can give them a slightly different experience uh, and hopefully a better one. Mm-hmm. Um, so stories have always been really important to me. And then I find at this part of my life, I'm I'm focusing uh, more on working with writers um, who are who are trying to put their stories in the world um, and uh, whether that's their own story in memoir or fiction. Um, I've been a long time sort of science fiction and fantasy fan. So we do that stuff, but I'm also really interested in literary fiction and, you know, really all kinds of stories. So yes. Yeah, and that's what uh, I've been doing. full disclosure, I should mention that you and I have worked together. You have helped me with my yeah. developmental editing too. So you have been doing this. You've got an, um, an MFA. And I've been from- a student in your class. That's I always forget that. I always forget that. <laughs> that feels so long ago because in my mind, yes, I know that, but also you and I have been frequent students together in Mona's classes. And I just, Mona's in classes. my mind, That's you cool. and I sit next to each other and we look like this at Mona as she, <laughs> as she, tells us, as she teaches us things. So um, fantastic. So you're using all of this education. You've got your MFA, you've got all of this background knowledge, and now you're putting it to the, you're, you're putting the the tires on the pavement and doing this. Um, when we talk about developmental editing, it's one of those things that is so scary to newer writers, especially if it is their first time getting developmentally edited. Um, I've done, I had an episode uh, with Eileen Lambert on this show where she talked about receiving that first set of developmental edits and how it can kind of cause this nuclear explosion in a writer's life and psyche almost. Um, but I want to, so I want to talk a little bit about that and how you approach that, but also just starting at a, at a, at a higher 30,000 foot level, what is the difference between the editing levels? We've got, we talk a lot about um, like story consults versus developmental edit versus <laughs> copy edit, line edit proofing. Could you just talk us through that? Sure. So I think the, I mean, if you think about the, from inception to kind of the end, the inception of a story is just, it's just an idea. Uh, It it might not even, you might not even know if it's a story yet. You know, there's something interesting, uh, a series of events. Even if you think about like a, a, like a memoir, basically all you have is somebody's life, right? It's just, Mm -hmm. and that's just day, Monday, Tuesday to Friday over and over again. Mm -hmm. So you may have the idea that there's something interesting about that that's worth telling as a story, but you may not know what the story is yet. So that's where sort of the the story consult or the the book coaching sort of aspect of things comes is is, is helping you sort out where's the story, what is the story, um, what is it actually about, which which ev- events are relevant to the story and which ones are not really part of the story at all. Um, what's the general order of things? How does you know? Is there a story there to tell? And then once you actually have a draft, you've uh, you figured out there is a story and you've written something, you've got something that sort of has a beginning and a middle and an end, and it's sort of there. Then you're looking at something which is more like a developmental edit, which is taking a look at that and saying, okay, so let's really shape this into a story. We've got the ideas, we've got the overall direction, but it's like, um, I liken it to uh, building the structure of a house. Uh, if, you, if, if a developmental edit was a house, you'd be like putting the framing up. Um, and you, so you've got a structure, you know, that the second floor will be held up by the first floor and the, the third floor will be held up by the second floor. It's not all going to fall down. 
um, you have an arrangement of the the rooms and spaces, you know, how, how to move, you know, through that structure. It doesn't have any walls yet. It's all just framework, but that's also a good time that if you discover, uh, you know, the, the living room is in the wrong place, it's not too late to move it. I've actually never- you don't have to- undo a lot of stuff to do to to shuffle it around i've never thought of this on like the real um tangible part of this analogy because i've heard this before but i've never really thought about how expensive it would be if you build this house and never think about structure and then outfit it paint it put in all the furniture and that's exactly what we do when we make our sentences pretty and our paragraphs gorgeous but we don't know what the book is yeah. actually trying to be or how to hold it up and then really thinking about that house where the guy comes or the or the person comes in and says you have no bathroom and you have four kitchens in the basement like like what's what <laughs> yeah. so the developmental edit is when you say let's talk about what this house or this book wants to hold and how can you best build this house to suit your purpose? Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, and to, to do that in a way where, as I said, if you have to make big changes, you're not, uh, you don't have a dumpster that's full of handmade Moroccan tile that you've just had to pull <laughs> off the wall, right? Like that you worked really hard uh, to put up and build and it's gorgeous. Exactly. Uh, and now it's in the dumpster. Yeah. Don't do that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Move the rooms around first. Make sure you've got everything where it is, where it wants to be. Uh, and then and then you move forward with your next draft. You're like, okay, so your developmental edit is done. And the next level is the copy edit. And the copy edit is like, you know, you've got all your drywall up. You've got all your, all the things, all of the, the pieces are in. And you've kind of got some finishing stuff going on. Um, and you're trying to make sure that it's all consistent. You want to make sure that this house all feels like it's supposed to be the same house that you don't walk out of one room and feel like you've just walked into a, you know, a different time period, or you just, you know, you've walked out of one room in the palace of Versailles and suddenly you're in, I don't know, a mid-century modern, uh, in LA or something. Yeah. Like situation or something, right? <laughs> like, uh, it should all kind of feel like the same place. So you're looking at things like, you know, um, so in, in in writing terms, it's like are the voices of your characters consistent? Does your if your you know if your characters speak with a particular dialect, are they doing that all the way through the story? Um, uh, consistently in settings and things like that, and and even in at the level of language, um, sentence variety. Uh, do the do the sentences flow from one paragraph to the other? Have you used the same word many many times? We all have. Um, words that we rely on words that as we're writing, we just, they're just crutches, you and know, we, we can't think of anything better. Them. We can't those see words them. Come in. Yeah. Yeah. And we can't see them. So, um, one of mine is really, I use oh. really a lot more than I need to use it. Yes. Uh, and I don't mine even is, notice that I'm writing it. Mine is just, uh, I always do a, a highlight on mine and, um, Justin actually, are, are two of them, which are uh, actually, I don't, I don't even like using that one, but one time I did the, the, control F to highlight them all. And there were, I had seven on one page, seven just, it was just like the, the yellow, yellow, yellow everywhere. Okay. So that's part that, yeah. that all folds into copy editing and <laughs> you do all three of these things, right? You do the, the story consults. Yes, I do those three and things. the developmental yeah. and the copy edit. Yeah. I would like to ask you a question and I, and please feel free to argue with me or to push back, but sure. I'm going to tell you what my opinion is about those three. And then you tell me whether you agree or not. Um, mm -hmm. I think that the story consult is a nice to have, but optional. And it can often help people out if they're feeling nervous or timid. 
Um, but I feel like the developmental and the copy edit are non-negotiable for a writer. Like I, I feel like you got to have those in some way, shape, or form. Now, you please tell me what you think. I tend to agree. Um, <laughs> it depends. I mean, in, yeah, I think it depends on your level of comfort. I think um, you know the consult or the book coaching, as you say. I think for some people, that's the thing they need the most because yeah. once they have the confidence of that and understanding, like they have an understanding of what their story is and where it goes, then the other parts become much easier. Um, but I think even for those of us who've, who've been writing for a while, like the developmental, edit, it's about those things that you can't see because you're in it, right? Mm -hmm. So you may feel really confident about your story. You may feel like I've, I've killed it. It's there. I've got it. Um, but there are things that you you read it and you're reading something that's not on the page because it's in your head and those are your words and they mean the same thing to you. And it takes mm -hmm. having somebody else look at it to say, Oh, that's not what you said at all. <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and to be able to say, to put big question marks on the page and say, something's missing here. I don't know yeah. what this is or, uh, cause is they're just things that you just, you just can't see. That's an interesting thing about the developmental editor. I feel like you might always be looking for what isn't there and what is there too much because that's what a writer can't see. And when I always feel like when a developmental editor doesn't comment on my page, I just love it if a page can go by with no comments on it. Love it because I feel like I hit it right. But then when the dev editor says, um, you've said this seven other times and I think it's my first time or they say, how did you get there? Because they don't see everything that I put in and taken out, but I've forgotten that I took it right. out. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So. And I think one of the yeah. most, one of the most useful things that developmental editor can do is just ask questions to say, mm. uh, you know, here, it feels like you're leaning towards this idea yeah. here or um, if you're, if you're leaning towards this idea, then these might see, be some things that would help shade that in because it feels a little vague. But if you're going this way, maybe you want to do these other things. You know, I think the yeah. a really good editor will leave the control with you. They're not yeah. going to say, change this. But it's a question of like, ah, if this is what you're going for, maybe these things would help. And if this is what you're trying to do, then that would be more helpful. That is one of my favorite things is when a developmental editor points something out that is sometimes that is really big and really difficult and I have no idea how to do it. And when the editor points it out and they say something like, this is the problem, this is what's not here or what is here, and I don't know how you're going to fix it, but I know that you can and have you thought about, you know, this thing over here might be a connection. And they almost hand me this this golden chalice that only I can drink or this, you know, I, I'm the only one who can pull that sword from the stone. And I would, and I'm happy to say that I've never had a developmental editor with really, a really heavy, oh, I've had one, never mind, one heavy handed developmental editor and I'm still <laughs> scarred and you know the one, but, um, but everyone else has always handed me that as an invitation, like really keeping a close eye on the fact that it's, you know, these are our books and, and the developmental editor helps us figure out how to fix them. They don't, they don't fix them for us, which I think some people are sometimes surprised about. The editor will fix my book, right? Yeah. Oh, sadly, no, <laughs> they will not. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So what are recurring developmental editing issues that pop up all over the place for, for many people? 
I think overall structure is yeah. um, is one, and I think structure is a tricky thing. Is I think um, particularly as like young writers, I remember being in film school and like everybody wants to come in breaking all the rules. Like they they want right. to, right. you know, they want to write the film that's not been made before or tell the story yeah. that's never been told. So they're all about like let's tell the whole story backwards. Let's you know, let's. Uh, I remember when we went. Uh, seven david fincher's movie oh, seven yeah. came out and we were so excited about it and we we went in we were raving about it to our prof and we're like even the credits roll backwards that made him laugh very hard uh <laughs> but i think when we think about structure it's it's hard to avoid uh, even if um because what you're actually structuring is the you're structuring the reader's experience of the story you're not actually structuring the story itself so that you can tell the story backwards oh. you can tell it in nonlinear fashion you can start wherever you want but the reader's experience is always going to have a beginning a middle and an end in you that just, order you just blew my mind you blew my mind in a that's so <laughs> that seems so basic now that you've said it you've just turned on the light bulb that should have always been on but that's exactly right the reader's experience will always have a beginning middle end no matter how you structure the story you must also structure their experience <gasps> right say more say so more. the so even if, uh, and, and that that reader's experience is what we're talking about when we're talking about sort of three-act structure or five-act structure, whatever, however many acts mm -hmm. you're sort of yeah. putting it into, it, it has the same elements to it, right? As a reader, you have to start the story. You need some background to get going. You need some kind of introduction. Uh, there has to be a moment when the story actually starts, where there's some sort of conflict or question or some sort of unresolved problem, like something has to happen. Um, these are things that that have to happen, and they're all common, you know, to the reader's experience. As I said, how they how they unfold in the chronology of the story you're telling can be quite different, uh, and that's the part that can look really unconventional and really interesting, and you know, be be all very abstract, whatever. But the experience that the reader is having is still a pretty linear uh, beginning to end sort of story. There's going to be some sort of climax near near to the end where. They're the most engaged and the most curious about what happens and some and sort of resolution. Never be able to yeah. have to, you'll never be able to make a reader experience the end, middle, beginning ever. It's, it's unless nope. time starts rolling backwards, we will not be able to. That is so exactly. good, Damien. I love that. Okay. So one of the things I frequently ask people here is um, to share a craft tip for writing. And I wanted you to do that. And you can do this as a developmental editor uh, or as a writer or as both. What you got for us? Sure. I, I was, uh, I've been looking at a, a bunch of my own short stories because I'm thinking about putting together a collection of those. So I've been going mm -hmm. back and looking at a lot of old stories. Yeah. Um, and this is something that I've been kind of paying attention to is, is, uh, I don't know what to call it really, like landmarking or time stamping. If you're writing in the past tense, mm -hmm. uh, and and that you're sort of like your default position is in the past tense, mm -hmm. and sometimes when you're writing in the past tense, then you need to describe something that happened before that. So right. then you're going before this, right? Or so now you're into the you're into the past perfect, right? Right. So I did, and then I had done. I had done. Uh, yeah. And if you need to go into conditional you know it could be i may have done or could have been or whatever once <laughs> you're putting done, yeah. layers of that together it can get very confusing yeah um as to where you are so i think one of the things is to build in little uh signposts for the reader that are connected to the setting or whatever it is from the time that people are speaking in so that as you shift between those things uh there are clues as to which past tense is currently speaking like which one has control so here i've got a i've got like a very little example for you perfect uh so 
Um, I went to the bar and bumped into Sandy. Hello, stranger, I said. We'd met at a party. I was delivering pizza and she'd answered the door and invited me in. She was kind and she laughed at all my jokes. I liked her instantly. What are you doing here? She shouted over the din. <sighs> so this is really confusing because what's intended is that the the what are you doing here is in the uh, first level of past. Like the we, don't, we don't know that when her mouth opens, it could be sure. with the pizza. She right? could be at the party. Right. Right. So you don't know which one of those uh, past tenses you're in. Um, so the, if you if you tag them, you could say, oh, I went to the bar and bumped into Sandy. Hello, stranger, I said. We met at a party in college. I was delivering pizza, blah, blah, blah. I liked her instantly. And then you've got to come back with a landmark to say, the bar was louder than usual. What are you doing here? She shouted over the din. So that you've you've brought the you've brought the reader back to the right time frame. And this is mostly just a this is mostly a concern when you're writing in the past tense. Um because if you're was, writing in the present tense, that was such a I go to the bar effect. and run into Sandy. Yeah. Yeah. If I go to the bar and run into Sandy, hello stranger, I say, we'd met in college, but blah, 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 I liked her instantly. What are you doing here? She asks. Right. The tense automatically cues you into you know where you are you don't have to worry about kind of placing those those landmarks uh because you're not sort of layer on layer on layer into the past but yeah but, that's but the thing thinking, i've been kind of looking at in my stories and trying to figure out and it's simple it's simple and easy to do and when you do it it's one of those beautiful things in writing i think that becomes invisible the reader doesn't notice it the reader does not notice it, they don't a reader will never notice not getting lost. Right. They will right. only notice when they're they will lost. They only notice if they get lost. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that it's is- It's also something brilliant. I think, um, I was thinking this is also, because a lot of my background is in film and, and television, you don't really have to worry about this as much in film and television because uh, yeah. you're, you're seeing it. You're right. seeing that they're in the bar, right? Yeah. So uh, there's like another sort of 80% of information that's not the words you know, that's telling you the rest of the story in those other, in other kinds of media. But when you're writing, you have to create the the entire picture uh, and carry the reader with you every time you, you shift. No, no big deal. That's just, that's just what we have to do. We have to do all that. Right? <laughs> um, but, and, but one thing I want to reassure people, especially if they're writing their first drafts right now, or even, you know, struggling with their second drafts is these are things that personally, I don't try to do well in an early draft. So if anyone's listening and is yeah. freaking out, like, I don't do that. This is not only something we can work on in revision, but these are the things that a developmental editor points out to you and says, I got confused here. And then I I, I always say that an editor has never told me something I didn't actually really know already. They don't ever surprise me. They're like, oh, you're right. I didn't do that there. I did that badly there. Okay. How am I going to yeah. fix that? So yeah. my- I think I your, only, your only job in the first draft is to get done. Yeah. 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 And uh, to get as done as you possibly can. Um, yeah. Oh, I have so many questions for you, but I want to make sure that I want to hit the important ones. Okay. This one, this one is big. Um, how should a writer prepare for receiving developmental edit notes? And let's talk about a person for whom this is maybe only their first or second time they've ever gotten developmental edits. How, how should mm. they prepare? Oh, it's a good question. I mean, I think one of the things is it's nice, and I know that editing relationships form in different ways, but if you have an opportunity to, to have a conversation with your editor before they do the edit, 
Mm-hmm. I think it's like whenever you're asking for feedback, it's really helpful to tell people what kind of feedback you're looking for. Yeah. Um, and how it is helpful for you to receive that feedback. And that's good for both parties, right? Because I don't think anyone wants to give you feedback that you can't use. That's mm-hmm. not a good use of anybody's time. Yeah. You want to be able to provide people with feedback that they're actually able to hear. Um, and that's going to help them move forward. So if they if you can have a conversation about that, and if you, you know, if you know about yourself, I'm going to need to hear like three good things before there's any criticism at all. Then and, just, just say that. And that's <laughs> okay, you right? Can do that. You can ask yeah, for as an editor, what you, you need. Can, you can be like, yeah, I can, yeah. I can lay out three great things before we get into anything. That's no problem. Yeah. You know, that's just shifting the order around. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, so being able to, so I think if you can prep people, prep your editor for that, I think is one thing. Um, and then the other thing I think is just that idea, like remembering that you own the story, like whatever anybody else says, this is your story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you, you have the solutions. The most valuable thing that the editor is going to point out to you is where, where there might be problems. The solutions are still yours to, to come up with. You know, I wrote a story in, in my MFA workshop and four or five different people stumbled over the same uh, problem in the story and each of them had a different solution to it. Um, and they all, you know, many of them thought that this element should be taken out of the story, but the useful thing was like, okay, that's a, I had to look at that part um, to figure out like why it tripped up four out of five readers. Um, and then I ended up coming up with a solution, which was like adding, they wanted me to take it out and I ended up adding more. Uh, of that element um, because it felt to me like it was there and it felt right that it was there, but it was like, okay, if it feels wrong to them, it's because there's not enough of it. Mm-hmm. So just coming up with a solution, which nobody in the workshop had suggested or like hadn't come from any of the editors, but that was a flag. And that was the most important thing that came up out of the edit was here's the thing you need to pay attention to and figure out like why it's important to you and how to make it work. Oh, and that but is... the answer, the solution is your own. But because you are, you are the the boss of this story. You are its creator. And and there's that beautiful word stet. And I always make a fist um, when I say stet because someday I want to like a tattoo that says S-T-E-T. And then over here I wanted to say A-W-K period. Um, stet and ok. I think those would be cool knuckle tattoos. But stet means in Latin, I believe, let it stand. And the author always gets to say stet. It's I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that misspelled because I want it misspelled. The author is always yeah. the one in charge at the end, but we but our work needs other eyes. And it needs them at the correct time. So what my 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 almost penultimate question for you. Um, when's the best time to hire a developmental editor? It's a huge question and probably impossible mm-hmm. to answer, but but what do you think? Well, I, I feel like you need to have a full draft. Um, and maybe even after your second draft, uh, cause I think your first draft is, well, if your first draft is like my first draft, it's a bit <laughs> like messy. Most, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, mess. uh, it may even have become a different story by the time you get to the end of it. So I think yeah. going through when you feel like you actually have a draft, which is like one story from beginning to end, and you think it's kind of there, then mm-hmm. I think it's a good time to go to a developmental edit and have somebody else look at it and say, are all the pieces here and are they in the right order? And uh, you know, do we get through the story at the speed, the pace that we probably should and things like that. So I think that's probably, that's probably a good time, um, to do it. 
I, I'm kind of grinning because I just realized that my own personal answer to that is I want a developmental editor when I finally think that this is the one time a developmental editor will write me back and say, no, you know what? You're good. This should just go go to copy edits. You're, you're great. <laughs> it's never happened and it never will happen. But when I get to that point, I have run out of ideas. I don't have anything more and I need outside help. So that is yeah. fantastic. Okay. And where can we find you? How can we hire you if we are looking for someone as awesome as you? Um, I do want to say, for the record, you are thorough. You are so good at your job and you are also immensely kind. And that's why I wanted you on the show because you know I believe Thank you. in truth and kindness and those two things together, unstoppable. So um, where can we find you if we want to hire you? DamienPitter.com. D-A-M-I-E-N, D-A-M-I-E-N-P-I-T-T-E-R.com. And I will say that your your rates are still low because you're gearing up here. And also you charge in Canadian dollars. So for for the Americans in the house, this you're a deal. You're a deal. And I'm going (laughs) to encourage you to put up your rates ASAP. But um, for now, people should reach out. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So um, also, I think I think I'd like for editing to be affordable. You know, I think it's um, I think it's important uh, for people to be able to to be able to work with someone. And you know, yeah. if you're writing your first novel and it's a it's not a it's not a job yet, and it's not a it's not yeah. you know making you any money. It's just something that you're doing. I, it's um, I don't think that the editing cost should be prohibitive. You know, I think it would be good if there's somebody who can give you a hand and get you get you further along the road than you know, to a place where maybe that book can make you some money. Yes. Damien, thank you so much for talking to me today. This has been a delight and I have been so excited to get you on the show. So thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Ink in Your Veins. You can reach me at my website, rachelherron.com. And you can also support me at patreon.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, where I have all sorts of great stuff for writers for as little as a buck a month. And do sign up for my free writer's email list of encouragement at rachelherron.com slash write. Now, get to writing, my friends. <laughs>